Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 231 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Today you are joining us for a Q&A covering topics ranging from melasma to the Divock Schmack Schmeen. It's getting more and more interesting, Becky. <laughs> um, with pregnancy and intuitive fasting, um, Stella's favorite smoothie ingredients, and so much more. And we'll also be sharing a couple of updates to the Beat the Bloat ebook, which is now available in its revised form. Yes, if you missed us, the last episode, 230, was really a deep dive of updates on all things Beat the Bloat. We talked about the impact of industrializing our world and the influence of the lockdown and pandemic creating this disconnection which can really sterilize or cause dysbiosis within the host so we talked in last episode about the importance of connection the role of being in nature the diversity of the microbiome and really cool tips and tricks, Becky, (laughs) or fun facts. Uh, We talked about BDNF, like brain-derived neurotrophic factor and the power of probiotics and so much more. So if you want to geek out on the updates on the microbiome and the importance of the human connection to nature and to each other, go back to episode 230 and check that one out. All right, let's take a quick moment to talk about our sponsor for this episode, Wild Foods. Yes, Wild Foods is a company that puts quality, sustainability, and health first in all of their products. They believe, like we do, that food is medicine, and they take their mission seriously to really fix the broken food system, working with quality small farmers around the globe. They have all of our favorite pantry staples, from coffee to turmeric to medicinal mushrooms and beyond, and they've partnered with us to give you guys an exclusive discount when you use Allie Miller RD at checkout, you will get 12% off your order. And that's over on their website, wildfoods.co. That's .co. And you use Allie Miller RD at checkout. So one of the questions that came in that I'll answer within the ad space is how I've been doing my keto coffee. And something I've been playing with a lot is the wild cacao butter wafers. So this is raw, organically grown, uh, unrefined, food grade, certified fair trade cacao butter, which works beautifully to blend into your fat fueled coffee. Also beautiful for like body butters and um, lip balms and beyond. We did back in the day a naturally nourished like um, product party. Remember that? Yeah. When I was pregnant. It's like one of the first Christmas parties they attended. Team building. Yeah. yeah. And we made lip balm. I think I still have some with lavender in there. Um, but cacao butter is a really fun ingredient that provides really therapeutic beneficial fats and is dairy free. Uh, also at Wild Foods, you can grab a bag of their wild matcha, which is ceremonial grade, uh, you know, stone ground green tea leaves. So you're going to get a substantial 
high impact of those antioxidants in the catechins. Uh, you're also going to get 100% of the nutrients that are locked inside that green tea leaf. So that EGCG for metabolic boost, the L-theanine for um, alpha brainwave and mental support. And on the vein of brain boost, you have to also check out their medicinal mushrooms from individual blend, individual as well as blends. So they have like lion's mane and uh, they have reishi, they have cordyceps, and they have fantastic blends of mushrooms that you can add into your smoothies, also boosted coffees and beyond. And if you're looking for caffeine-free, check out their teas from the Thai G to the Kirkuberry or now renamed Immune Blend Tea, which is a fabulous anthocyanin, antioxidant-rich, red, robust tea that has um, cranberry in there. It also has elderberry in there and a couple other berries. So really tart and tannic and a really fantastic way to support immune health. Go on over to wildfoods.co, put in the code AllieMillerRD at checkout. You'll save 12% off as well as letting them know that you learned about them through the Naturally Nourished podcast and have fun exploring all of these awesome ways to really boost with food as medicine. All right. So I guess before we get into listener Q&A, because this could be quite a rabbit hole, um, I just want to detail a couple of the updates to the Beat the Bloat ebook. As Ali mentioned, episode 230, we get a little bit more in depth, but Beat the Bloat is new and improved for 2021. So it's been fully revised. We have fact-checked, if you will. <laughs> Not funny. Not funny. <laughs> we have fact-checked um, all of our facts, but we've um, added a lot of reference studies um, on the particular compounds that we selected, like the berberine um, and the oregano thyme and um, lemon balm compounds. So a lot more studies on the compounds that have been used for the the bloat cleanse historically. Um, we have added above and beyond support for SIBO and parasite. So really going beyond the yeast and candida world um, to help with resistant infection. Um, we've added a whole section on additional supplementation and die-off support. So really helping you to dive deep and troubleshoot your cleanse. And we kind of approach this as if you were a patient in our clinic coming to us, having done the beat the bloat cleanse and, and, you know, thought about some of the current uh, or some of the common issues that people run into. Most definitely. In fact, we layered in a really comprehensive table, kind of flow chart, if you will, of checking in on your progress. And then we have installed using the probiotic challenge at week five to have some objective data on where you are, if you can progress into that phase two of bacterial rebuild, which would start after the six week cleanse, or if you need to extend your cleanse and layer in other compounds to break down biofilms or support detox or ensure that you are liberating ample volume of stool daily and supporting bowel motility. And then because we've now done this with thousands of successful participants, we have a really expanded Q&A from all yep. of the questions that have come up over the last really like seven years that we've had this product available. Uh, so that's a really good deep dive addressing things. And then we've revamped the meal plan to be completely dairy-free and low FODMAP. 
and then um, have some highlighted food as medicine recipes as well. So when you use the code, what's the code, Becky? Beat the bloat. Easy there you enough. go. <laughs> when you use the code beat the bloat, you can get a copy of the ebook through the month of March. So hopefully you guys are listening listening timely for just $1.99. So definitely take advantage of this. As we talked about in last week's episode, this is something that you can do, yes, if you have failed the dysbiosis quiz in the anti-anxiety diet book, or if you've downloaded that quiz from last week's episode and have failed it, then absolutely it's essential. But you can also do the beat the bloat cleanse as like an annual house housekeeping kind of resetting the gut microbiome to ensure that it is optimized and working best for you to get all of the myriad effects for brain health, for immune function optimization, for hormone balance and metabolism, and so much more beyond the the kind of known of digestive disturbances and skin health. I'm already looking forward to my cleanse when Noah weans. <laughs> yeah, right? That was like the one thing, the bittersweet, when, when Stella was kind of losing interest at that year mark, I was like, I I get my body back. And, and not how it looks, but like the fact that like I can take right. antifungals and antimicrobials right. and reset this biome. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then also, for those of you that really want to get nerdy with me, um, join me on the 24th of March. I will be doing an advanced uh, Beat the Bloat uh, webinar, and um, it'll be all about different digestive conditions and really kind of next level. It's going to be an hour-long webinar. It's $19.99 is the price point for that, so just under 20 bucks. And there will be a link to register in today's episodes, and we'll also be talking about it in our newsletter as well as... As on social media. All right, let's dive in with some listener Q&A. This first question actually comes from someone who was in our keto program that emailed us. Um, she says, I have one question. Did you ever have clients who cured melasma with keto? That's what I'm hoping and looking for advice for. So after I stopped breastfeeding in March and with the COVID stress, I suddenly earned a big blob of melasma on my forehead. And at this point, it's pretty clear that peels don't help. It's internal. But I'm completely lost on where to start when everything seems fine. I just ordered the MRT as I'm thinking it might be food or gut related, but any other help is appreciated. And so, Becky, can you describe for listeners, I'll talk about some interventions, but what melasma is. Yeah. Uh, Because I think it's a little outside the cuff if we haven't experienced it and Google imaged it ourselves. Yes. Um, So this is essentially hyperpigmentation that occurs typically in pregnancy or with major hormonal changes or shifts. And a lot of times we see this as like the pregnancy mask, um, where it looks like at first kind of like freckles, um, Mm -hmm. but more irregular and kind of blotchy. Um, you can get it anywhere on the face though. Like I had some hangout on my forehead. I think it's, it's still, (laughs) it's still there if I don't do my sunscreen, but it looks a lot better than it did, um, during pregnancy last summer. Um, so basically a skin change that occurs, um, typically during pregnancy. And from my research, um, I've seen the biggest connection to be estrogen dominance. Um, so maybe we're a little bit estrogen dominance dominant prior to pregnancy. And then just the shift of pregnancy hormones kind of keys that up and primes you for, um, that skin change. Yeah. And I, I believe, uh, not as insulin related as like anthocyanins, uh, 
nigricans, is that right? Yeah. Uh, not as insulin dominant as a, as a symptom there, but there is a blood sugar mm-hmm. metabolism piece. Of course, insulin being an inflammatory hormone has a connection to our sexual hormones for certain. So some things that we think about, and uh, now this woman was not postpartum or was? I didn't catch that in the question. I don't believe she mentioned, oh yeah, after I stopped breastfeeding mm-hmm. last March. So she's in a postpartum state as well. So a couple different things that we look at doing. One thing for sure, you know, as we've talked about with keto and the importance of detox is that when you do lose weight through the ketogenic diet, those adipocytes or those body fat stores or the fat cells in the body are themselves estrogenic. And so we want to ensure that we are uh, supporting our detox process and aiding in clearing that what could be liberated estrogen from the body fat metabolism. So our 10-day detox would be something that I would highly recommend. Y'all can still use the code PODCAST21. And that will get you the 10-day detox ebook for just $1.99 as well. We discounted that a couple weeks back when we talked about meal planning and food prep. Um, But the 10-day detox would be the first thing I would start with because that's going to regulate that estrogen dominance by supporting the way that the liver and kidneys aid in clearing that excess circulating hormones. So if you've had successful weight loss and you're in a time of hormonal transition, that would be something to consider. And I would also layer in specific to the estrogen element, the BRCO detox. So this is one that would also be safe uh, to do. The BRCO detox you can technically do with pregnancy and um, with breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. So that might be a lighter option if you're noticing this as a woman who's currently pregnant because you would wanna wait until you're really on a very weaned process of breastfeeding where maybe you're breastfeeding less than twice a day if you are doing the 10-day detox. And in that sense, you could do the whole diet, but you'd wanna keep the packs at just like a pack a day versus Mm -hmm. really working to liberate toxins from your body because toxins are passed through breastfeeding. But the BRCO detox at one twice daily would be appropriate through pregnancy, through breastfeeding as is, and in any time of hormonal change and supporting that estrogen dominance. And then the 10-day detox as you're weaning breastfeeding. Um, You could do the 10-day detox diet, though, during breastfeeding. Uh, And and even during pregnancy, you could do the 10-day detox diet, uh, just not the supplement support. If you're thinking that estrogen dominance is your issue and you want to learn more about hormones, I would check into the Neurohormone Complete Plus panel. Uh, That's going to give you a look at where your adrenals are at, that DHEA, which can play a role with PCOS and insulin resistance, as well as low vitamin D status. And then we would look at your progesterone, your three types of estrogen and testosterone, as well as neurotransmitters, which can play a huge role with brain health and cravings and such. When I think of the darkening of the pigmentation, I think right away of glutathione. Mm -hmm. And you can do this both, you know, internally and externally. So the cellular antiox would be the best supplement tool there. And the cellular antiox can be used with breastfeeding and pregnancy and after, of course. Uh, So you could do two a day minimum. This is the one that has N-acetylcysteine, which is the precursor to glutathione, and then the S-acetylated form of glutathione and B6 to aid in that conversion process. So one twice daily and upwards of four a day. Uh, We use the cellular antiox in our protocol for the pandemic, as well as to support the long hauling prevention, which we'll come up with that in a moment. Um, But that's a really great, powerful antioxidant, supports liver, supports healthy skin cells, and protects them from damage. 
protects them from that oxidative stress. And then I'll link in the show notes the Aurora Gold um, GSH, which is a glutathione topical spray. Uh, the one thing I will say that you need to know is it smells very sulfurous. It sure does. <laughs> right? It smells like you're spraying yourself with rotten eggs. Um, but, you know, to do that and then just like wait, uh, you know, two hours and then, you know, do your serums and such or whatever you're applying after would be absolutely fine. And, and it is quite effective. I've had clients get really good outcomes on that. I've used that for Stella as a uh, transdermal form of glutathione as well. Yeah, you gifted that to me for my birthday. I don't think it was like a, a hint. Um, like, no, but it was, it was to brighten it because yeah, yeah, yeah. you were, you were getting annoyed with it. it. Yep, yeah, yep. Um, It was a friend hookup. Yeah, yep. <laughs> not and, a judgment. <laughs> no, totally not. Um, and it, I feel like it, it really did a good job. I think the other big thing here is um, sunscreen on your face if you mm-hmm. are subject to to hyperpigmentation of any sort um and especially if you've done things like the peels um or using anything that has um you know a chemical peeling agent um making sure to use sunscreen when you go outside just on your face and then maybe you know exposing other parts of your body to get that vitamin d or wearing something that's a physical barrier like a hat yeah Um, especially because that kind of brow line is, is where we see a lot of the activity yep and, and what about, Becky, is it good to use, though, like an exfoliant, or do you want to stay away from those? Like you said, chemical peels can make it worse, but what about like an exfoliant to kind of like get the dead skin off? Yeah, or? I think that would be acceptable to use um, like more of a, not a chemical peel per se, but more of a like metabolic peel that has fruit acids so in it okay. and enzyme-based. Um, there's one I like called um, Juice Beauty Peel. I'll see if I can get it onto our Amazon store and okay. link in the show notes. Um, but it's a pretty gentle peel that can help to lighten over time. It's just not as aggressive. Um, and then if you're working with an esthetician, make sure they have experience with melasma um, and, and just really know their stuff. Because I do think maybe, you know, there are forms of peels or laser that could be helpful, but those can also make you more susceptible to sun damage. So that just makes your sunscreen all the more important. Yeah. So maybe just like a good old coconut oil sugar scrub thing could work too, just to kind of keep things circulating. Yeah. But you know what I learned recently is that coconut oil can drive um issues with your your sebum is it is that Mm -hmm. the part of your skin yeah yeah Yeah. i was using it topically in an area where i was having Mm -hmm. really resistant androgenic acne and then learned that it actually for some people can drive really severe acne and when i pulled it out like 30 days I noticed a substantial difference. Interesting. So I would um, not recommend it. I may have in past episodes talked about putting coconut right. oil on your face, and now I no longer recommend that. Yeah, or just washing it off right away with a scrub. Um, yeah. Jojoba oil is more similar to your skin's actual sebum and how it's produced, so that might be a better option actually for like topical application on the face. Okay. Let's skip next question and go to another one because I know okay. next one's going to be like a deep dive and we'll end with that one. How about? Okay. Um, I want to ask your thoughts and I, I can give background on this too, Ellie, um, on intuitive fasting and the recent Will Cole and Gwyneth Paltrow drama. So dun, just, dun, dun. Yeah, just to give a little bit of, of background, Will Cole is a functional medicine chiropractor who I've heard him speak. I think he's very smart. He's very quick. He's good. Um, and he came out with a book called Intuitive Fasting that essentially couples the idea of intuitive eating with intermittent fasting. And I believe he's recommending more of a 16-8 approach and, and 
the intuitive aspect being don't eat when you're not hungry, like we talk about all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Gwyneth Paltrow was recently interviewed and um, was speaking to some long hauling effects that she was having um, from COVID. So a little bit of um, fatigue and things like that. And had stated that she was working with Will Cole and was doing his intuitive fasting protocol. And this blew up and is still continuing to blow up on social media, um, especially in the world of mindful eating and kind of that like all foods fit mentality. So a lot of like the eating disorder recovery world. Um, so I want to hear the your... woke cancel culture. That too. Yeah. <laughs> Just to be frank. Yep. And you know what else? I also have seen a couple. It's funny that you put this in the questions because a couple people were DMing me on IG I'm not sure what sites were, quote unquote, again, fact checking, right? And stating that Gwyneth was putting out uh, harmful information in in promoting how teas have antioxidants and how her lemon turmeric shooter, she's doing something similar to Mm -hmm. what we talk about as a lemon lemon turmeric shooter and how, you know, that's harmful information because God forbid we provide empowering food as medicine content for people who are looking for solutions with helping their body after this said viral impact. Um, and, And on that vein, just a moment on the the long hauling thing. This is not new news. This is sensationalized marketing as almost everything with the shmam shmamic has been. Um, You know, this idea of COVID long haulers. uh, Have you ever known someone who's had mono? Right. Have you ever known anyone who's had a prolonged viral impact? Or as we've talked about, even with gut pathogens, right? This is the importance of using things like proteolytic enzymes to break into biofilms. This is the importance of supporting a robust microbiome after an infection of any form. This is the importance of, you know, rebounding your antioxidants, you know, with high antioxidant foods to reduce the oxidative stress, supporting with things like the glutathione, right? To support that chronic fatigue syndrome that we're seeing. And and, and this is not new. So I just wanted to make a little point on that. The body, after it battles anything, mm-hmm. which is a pathogen, which could be bacteria, virus, yeast, parasite, anytime the body battles something, there's debris from the die-off And this can create inflammatory impacts, which can influence brain fog, cognitive decline, muscle aches, malaise, all of it. Yep. I think so many of our clients that we see for functional medicine interventions, when we go through their history, it's like there was something that was an antecedent and oftentimes that is viral or infectious trigger, or Lyme or something along those lines. So that's a really good point. Right. Yeah. Okay. okay. So intuitive fasting. Yeah. So intuitive <laughs> fasting sounds contraindicated, right? Because, you know, how can you fast, which is time restrictive, and how can you be intuitive, which is, you know, more laissez faire and open? Um, you know, I think that the the first thing, when we first started talking about fasting on the Naturally Nourished podcast, you know, Dr. Jason Fung had done so much work in this space. And I quoted one of his comparisons in the world of eating disorders. You know, he talked about uh, hand washing. And he was like, you know, washing your hands and having uh, teaching people to have good hygiene of how to wash their hands does not create obsessive compulsive disorders of abusing hand washing until, you know, you're, you're wearing away at your skin. Um, and so teaching people how to listen to hunger and satiety cues and not eat when not hungry or allowing them to be empowered by this innate tool of autophagy, the immune system's cellular capacity to reset and clear dysfunctional debris 
through fasting is not driving an eating disorder. It's an empowering tool that, yes, could be used to drive an eating disorder. But I, I really liked that scenario of like the mm-hmm. hand washing thing. I think that that resonates with me. And so I, I state the same way. I, I think it's unfortunate in this time of cancel culture where we cannot speak on health, where, I mean, we're supporting and pushing out a pro-obesogenic, uh, you know, movement and stating health at all sizes, which yes, I do believe that you could be of varied BMIs. I'm not a fan of a BMI per se, because it doesn't take the stature and muscle density of an individual. So I think BMI doesn't have to be a marker of necessarily whole body health. We look at inflammatory markers. We look at nutrient deficiencies. We look at metabolic markers. But I'm sorry, when I see someone that has body fat percent, you know, over 30% body fat, there's no way that they have optimal insulin, that they have optimal hemoglobin A1C, that they have optimal triglycerides, that they have, they're going to have higher visceral fat, which is disease causing. I think that's just non-debatable. And one of the only ways to lower your visceral fat is to lose body weight. And one of the ways to lose body weight is to eat less. And it's not as dumbed down as a calorie in calorie out equation. You know, we've talked about that with Jillian Michaels and her process there, but intermittent fasting is a really powerful tool. And I think that what a disservice at a time when we're talking about being sensitive to empowering people to support their immune system, to lower inflammation and enhance their metabolic health. This is a free tool available to everyone. So why are we devaluing and why are we creating shame behind something that could be accessible to all? Mic, I mean, mic drop. That's kind of all I have to say about that. I mean, I, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that's too bad. And I think it's been really spun to be, I mean, really just inappropriately spinning on how, right, intuitive fasting could be harmful, could be dangerous. I think that we need to allow humans to be empowered and to have personal responsibility and to be educated. And when we create confusing messages with hate and shame, everyone loses. Right. And we've, said before and and will cole says in his book and jason fung has said in his work you know if you have a history of eating disorder you might not want to practice fasting or you might want to be you know under the supervision of a clinician that's worked with you on your eating disorder um so i don't think it's you know a one-size-fits-all approach we've got episode 148 that is a really good resource on our take on fasting and time-restricted eating and then we also did a rant. I couldn't find it when I was putting together notes, but I'll make sure I find out what episode it was in the show notes. A little bit of a rant on like this mindful eating, all foods fit yeah, we mentality. Um, so I'll find out what episode that was and, and link it. And, and the power of fasting, especially again at this time of pandemic is extremely important. I can't tell you how many friends and family members I've texted that will text me and say, oh crap, you know, someone in, in John's school uh, tested positive or, or, and he was over at our house and so our whole family's quarantining. Um, you know, he's got a low grade fever. What do we do? The first thing I say is don't, for, as I've talked to you guys with Stella when she had that 104 mm-hmm. degree fever, right? Do not force food when the body is not hungry. Mm-hmm. You fast a fever and you allow the fever to run its course. You keep comfort. So you do sponge baths, you allow electrolyte support, but the body knows what to do. And the body is going to pick up on white blood cell 
uh, it's going to pick up all of those innate as well as learned immune responses when it's not distracted from food. And food can sometimes drive, you know, of course, especially if we're looking for comfort food during times of illness, a blood sugar spike, which literally disarms or disengages the white blood cell response. It reduces the white blood cell response, which is your primary level of what regulates your natural killer cells and apoptosis and all of these fighters to combat pathogen. And so I think we have to feel empowered by this free tool, accessible for all, um, and not fearful of it. Yep. I agree. All right. Um, thoughts on the bean protocol. So this is a protocol that's been circulating now, um, probably for the past year or so. And a couple people I follow in the paleo space have been posting about it, how, um, it's helped to clear their skin or, um, has even helped with longstanding issues like Crohn's disease, which I found really interesting actually. Um, but essentially what this is, is adding beans to the diet at six to eight servings a day, Six to eight half, uh, half cups. Half cup servings. So yep. that's three to four cups yep. of a lot of beans. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're also pulling out caffeine, sugar, dairy, gluten, processed food. Um, so what, what are, are your good thoughts? Things, just I mean, I'm good, with, I'm good yeah. with the caffeine, sugar, <laughs> dairy, no gluten, no processed food. Sure. And there's also something on the quality of protein, but you can still eat animal protein. Is that right? So you can have lean meats, leafy greens. Uh, you can still have aliums, cruciferous vegetables. So you could be eating a really clean diet, sure. but that's quite an excessive amount of legume. And all I'm thinking of is the magical fruit. The more you eat, the more you too. Uh-huh. Um, I can't imagine sleeping next to that person. I'm hoping that they are taking digestive enzymes right. um, to break down those phytates and using kombu, which is a sea vegetable that you can incorporate when cooking your beans to help to break down those anti-nutrients or Eden as a brand of a canned bean company does that. Uh, I can kind of vibe on the idea that a higher intake of, of course, fiber. So mm-hmm. the soluble and the insoluble fiber in the beans could for sure flush out or bind um, excessive hormones. So that could be a part yep. of the skin component as well as toxins that are circulating. I think that there is something to be said of that. But when we're talking to the idea of nutritional density and anti-nutrients and inflammatory impact on the gut, I think that that high of amount is going to provide maybe potentially more damage than benefit. Um, you know, the lectins in the legumes themselves can damage the epithelial or intestine lining. And if, especially in the world of, like you said, IBD, like inflammatory bowel with Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, they likely already have some inflammation in that gut lining. They usually have elevated calprotectin levels. Uh, So I really would watch out for that because then we can see a higher risk of autoimmune type reactivity. Um, And um, I mean, there's even been unique cases of like lectin poisoning, which would be in high concentration. But what I would say is uh, I like the protocol in general. I think that you could cap it at one to two servings of legumes Mm -hmm. as an option. (laughs) And like I said, make sure you're doing that in in preparation in a pressure cooker with the... um, kombu to help to break down those lectins and phytates. And I would rather you get the rest of the fiber, like from the phytofiber supplement in our line, which is a whole food-based fiber, incorporating things like cranberry and apple pectin and carrot, as well as a little bit of psyllium. So you're getting a good blend of soluble and insoluble with different antioxidant capacity there. And then getting some actual detox support on a biochemical level. So Mm -hmm. beyond just binding, you know, how can we get 
the uh, you know phase two um, cellular impact of encapsulating and excreting, and that really requires yes, there is some sulfur-containing compounds in beans, but to get a concentrated form, um, you know, of really like again the glutathione and the N-acetylcysteine and some of these targeted nutrients. So I like the idea of the cruciferous vegetables to give us those iodine three carbonyls and phase two detox support, but maybe taking the detox packs layering in a half cup or one cup of beans and um i think that would do the trick yeah from what i was reading um it's you know there, there's no studies on this but um people saying that it supports phase three detox which is just that elimination colon. piece of the puzzle in the colon and binds the excess estrogen but if you don't have ample phase one and phase two support then phase three doesn't really you know it doesn't get you any further um so i think it's it's one of those almost like the celery juice like cure oh all that we got to be mindful of but we did recently eat um refried black beans that you made with the fond nopalito broth that's the one that has the nopales and cilantro and i think habanero pepper yes and those were delicious like i could i could get down on half a cup of those a day even totally yeah. right and I, I, someone had questioned on my instagram they were like oh how do you get away with having beans with keto and i was like it's metabolic flexibility right. again you got to listen to the podcast on that uh, but beans are probably something personally that i consume at max twice a month um and it, it's kind of just for the reason of desire i guess i just choose other starches as options in rotation but absolutely you could use some beans in your keto and as you guys know i'm i'm a pretty big proponent of like team fiber uh and team phyto compound so i think reasonable but in a reasonable portion yep okay next up this is a light-hearted fun question ingredients in stella's favorite smoothie so what is she digging lately oh man I hate to say we're kind of in a pretty standardized smoothie rut of sorts uh, because she likes it, I like it, and it's easy. Uh, I like to use the Native Forests Simple coconut milk. So that's the canned coconut milk, which is full fat, has no added guar gum, and is a BPA-free lined can. Uh, so the only ingredients are coconut milk and water. They do add a little bit of water to it, but the full fat one, not the light. And I do about a half of a cup of that. And then I do about a cup and a half to two cups of greens. Most often it's lacinato kale, which is like the bumpy dino kale. Uh, it could be rainbow chard. If it's chard or spinach or mixed greens, I'm going to probably go on the higher end, like more like two plus cups. But the lacinato kale is pretty dense. So I usually go about a cup and a half of that. Um, I will pull the stems off. And so it's just the leaves themselves. I do about an inch of ginger. So I just uh, really quickly with the back of a spoon, peel the ginger and chop it into like quarters, throw that in the blender. I do it in the Vitamix so it, it chops everything quite well. And then I put in about a half of a cup of frozen organic mango. Blend that all up on high until it's homogenous or like nice and creamy. Oh, I do add about another half cup of water. Um, so add a little bit of water to get enough uh, liquid to break everything up. And then once it's all blended, then I add in a scoop or a scoop and a half of the naturally nourished grass-fed whey. And then all of those portions are split between mm -hmm. Stella and myself. Uh, if I was doing it for myself, I would probably keep the same amount of greens. I would just go a third cup of frozen mango and about a third cup of the full-fat coconut milk. So when I go half to both of those, that's enough for Stella and I. And then I one and a half the grass-fed whey. That's a pretty solid green smoothie for a kiddo. Yeah. 
she doesn't need a lot of sweet. Um, you know, so some kids now, again, for people listening where their children are eating more carbs or sweetened foods, they might want to add in right away a half of a frozen banana to give a little bit more of that creaminess. Um, and you might start your kids on smoothies that aren't green and then go to green sure. smoothies. Be mindful if you use like frozen strawberries or raspberries or, you know, anything that has a color other than yellow or light colored fruit that it will make it more of a brown smoothie. Um, and so I, I, I really think the big thing is getting them with enough fat and ample protein and then using a smoothie as a vehicle, I think to get in greens is a beautiful thing. Uh, but Stella does really well with salads and kale chips and she's, she's not uh, turned off by bitter flavor profiles. And I know that as we'll go forward in the next probably two months, so probably May, June, we'll be doing an episode release on, you know, Noah's first food. Yeah. So that'll be so exciting. But but that's a big thing. We talked about that with Lily as well, the importance of really allowing the palate to have diversity and pungent flavors. So Stella does onions, garlic, all that stuff right off the bat. That's awesome. You guys can split the smoothie and she can just share in the same one that you're having right now. Yeah. And that third cup of frozen mango by no means has a a dynamic blood sugar effect on me. Uh, I did that same smoothie while I was wearing my CGM and didn't go up more than six points on my CGM from pre and uh, postprandial reads and uh, works really well for my metabolic flexibility. Great for protein. And the grass-fed way, I'm such a huge fan of. I try to get a, a half of a scoop into Stella about three to four times a week, especially in this cold flu season. Uh, because those immunoglobulins are so fantastic and although you know I continue to advocate at her school for hydrogen peroxide and, and less toxic compounds glutathione is you know one of the richest available forms in that grass-fed way and so with her being GST1 and just being exposed to more toxins regularly with the disinfectants uh, I, I feel really important for her to get the both immunoglobulins and glutathione in a couple times a week yeah all right on the vein of Stella, let's do this question next. Did you introduce Stella to potential allergens to avoid future allergies, i.e. wheat, peanuts, and soy? So I thought that it was very important when thinking through Stella's food introductions and timeline of everything that I waited until two years until she was exposed at all to any form of gluten. So we were really tight on gluten-free and we were in fact completely grain-free for the first two years. Uh, And then after that, there's other episodes where I've talked about where I've let her have a bite of cake at a birthday party, X, Y, Z. By that point, she was pretty solid in her preferences of taste and flavor and the texture of something like bread or cake was so foreign to her. Uh, In fact, her first ever birthday cake, which we could link in the show notes, was uh, bananas and almond uh, flour Mm -hmm. and um, coconut milk as the primary ingredients. And even that was her first like... She hadn't had any muffin or any, sure. you know, even yeah. my nut flour-based ingredients. So that was the first, like, cakey texture. Um, so on the world of allergens, the first thing to clarify is, yes, she was introduced to allergens earlier on in the form of nuts because those are more of an allergen. When we're talking about an IgE, immediate hypersensitivity, I did introduce her to nuts and peanuts, which are the highest risk one as far as an IgE and a phylactic reaction, as well as shellfish. Uh, she was introduced to both scallops and shrimp, um, all within that first 14 months. Um, and then egg, uh, we introduced at, at that around you know 14 month. We did yolks earlier, but the mm-hmm. whole egg, because the egg white is the main allergen component within that 14 month period. And um, I, when I think of things like 
soy and wheat, I think of more of those are more, uh, as more of inflammatory uh, reactions than a allergy per se. And so I didn't see the benefit of introducing soy or wheat before that two-year period. I was very uh, adamant about the, the gluten and the wheat. And the soy, I can't for 100% with confidence say two years, but it definitely wasn't something that I wanted her to have in her sure. system to test per se. Right. Um, I think that seems reasonable. I'm remembering you being on a panel at Paleo FX, I think, and getting asked that question. You had some different opinions than some of the other folks. I don't know if you recall that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, next one up. Let's talk about fasting. Just going back to that for a second. Um, thoughts on long-term water fasting. I'm attempting five days for detox. Okay, so Noah says do not do that. I know nope. you guys heard Noah in the background. <laughs> uh, so I'm not a proponent of a water fast for anything that extends, honestly, beyond like 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even really a fan of that. I, I've talked in that episode that you referenced, I believe it was episode 148, uh, where we go into the different forms of fasting. And I've had so many clients that don't have ample body fat reserves and try to do these prolonged or extended fasts and it's very taxing on their hpa access they will put out a lot of epinephrine or adrenaline as like a survival um, neurotransmitter because their body is getting a signal of starvation and that can do ultimately more harm than good. I had a gentleman that was at an ideal body composition and his second night of a just water and salt fast felt like there were were spiders crawling on his skin um, and almost had to be like hospitalized for like a form of psychosis when it was really just his body freaking out because it was so hungry and he was over muscling or white knuckling mm-hmm. those hunger signals. That epinephrine. Yeah, piece. that adrenaline yeah. surge of yeah. like feeling electric, you know, is I think what he was perceiving as the like spidery stuff. Uh, so I, I'm just not really a big fan, even individuals that have 50 plus pounds of body weight to lose. Um, if they wanted to do, like I said, a 24 hour, like, you know, once every other week, I'm just a bigger fan of a 16-8. I'm not even a huge fan of an OMOD model of just a one meal a day. I really ideally think you need two meals a day to get in the nutrient density, the calories, the uh, amount of protein that you need, the, and the ability to digest and break down that protein at one sitting would be very taxing. Um, so I'm, I'm a bigger fan of a 16-8. Sure. And then if this individual is looking for detox, we could layer on to that 16-8 approach, um, detox packs doing like one at rise, one at rest, or they could go ahead and do that 10-day detox protocol for a more comprehensive support yeah and get to chew yeah and if you want to go low calorie and not chew you know for whatever reason i would recommend a bone broth fast because at least you're getting you know some nutrient density you're getting that glycine that l-glutamine that n-acetylcysteine the gelatin and and so in that sense you are taking a little bit of a vacation from food but you are giving yourself gut nourishment and so that that could be like a reset if you had an inflammatory food weekend or eating off you're still getting all of your electrolytes in the bone broth but uh not just a water and salt fast yep. not a fan all right Um, what do you think the reason behind COVID long haulers is? Are they metabolically unhealthy? And what are your best supplements for COVID recovery? So we kind of already ranted uh, uh, in this episode on the idea of any time you're exposed to a pathogen. So whether you are exposed to candida, we talked about Epstein-Barr, mono, you know, so there could be a virus, there could be bacteria, there could be yeast, any form of a pathogen when your body 
kills it off. Um, there's op- opportunity A for thrifty activity of that pathogen, meaning that it goes into a dormant state, but is still viable. Uh, we see that often like with yeast uh, overgrowth. We see that often with gut pathogens. Uh, so there could be some delayed impact of the virus that the body didn't battle, but most of the time it's actually that the body has successfully conquered and there is die-off or debris that's left behind. Uh, there can be taxation to your immune system and that can deplete nutrients so you need to restore those nutrients I would say yes those that are metabolically unhealthy not only have more complications of course with COVID which we've seen bar none um, but they also are going to have more of that delayed impact of the virus because their body's detox processes are not optimized. Um, their body's insulin signaling is not optimized. And so they're going to have that aftermath of more inflammatory effects. Uh, the biggest priorities are high antioxidant support to reduce oxidative stress, anti-inflammatory support to reduce the prolonged inflammatory reactions. So things that can mitigate those cytokine storms like ramping up the super turmeric. Um, I'm a huge fan of EPA DHA extra as we talked about omega-3 fatty acids and supporting the respiratory system in general. So really great support we see for asthma and any form of reactive airway syndrome using the omega-3 fatty acids. So like four a day of the EPA DHA extra, super turmeric could be taken two to four a day with food to support the inflammation, especially if like dealing with headaches. Uh, I'm a huge proponent of the inflammasome, and I actually had a, uh, D- in my DVOC episode, a long hauler protocol that I shared with that. The reason for inflammasome is those proteolytic enzymes really are fantastic in this kind of die-off debris mechanism to prevent inflammatory residual tissue response and even prevent things like the blood clotting factor that we can see in the aftermath, mm-hmm. which is an aftermath of inflammation on the vascular level. Um, so these are all things. And then we even use like inflammasome as a tool if someone has a elevated LP little a, uh, lipoprotein particle A, which speaks to a higher potential of platelet aggregation in the blood. Okay. I think those are good recommendations and I'll link that DVOC episode as well. And the last thing on there, sorry, yeah. is the detox packs as well. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. that's something I preemptively are saying, you know, if you're testing positive, um, you know, really, again, the way to get rid of the debris from the die-off is to really support the detox. Mm-hmm. So doing a 10-day detox, if you haven't yet and you know that you are infected, this is a really good time to really support the system and do that work. Yep. Yep. Good point. All right. Um, Last question, we saved the best or maybe most controversial (laughs) for last. Um, What are your thoughts on the COVID-19 vaccine and pregnancy? So during pregnancy, we're spending all this time worrying about, you know, what we're putting into our bodies down to reading every single ingredient label, avoiding toxins intentionally. Do we want to mess with the vaccine? Okay. So I I won't go into the rabbit hole of speaking to it in its entirety, uh, but speaking to it in the world of pregnancy is an easy, easy answer. Um, So first off, I will say that the right now currently two approved uh, vaccines available are approved through EAU, which is an emergency authorization use, right? So they're not FDA cleared or approved. And at this time, we are currently seeking children ages 12 and up. And I believe there was another trial for 9 to 11. Mm -hmm. Is that right, Becky? Uh, I don't know the 
age, but I know they were going younger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for children to be tested, which again, I just really feel that we should have gone through the thorough steps that are required, not this rapid warp speed passing of, by an EAU authorization, that if it was FDA cleared, we would have first run these studies on rats because we can go through multiple life cycles of animals in animal studies in shorter duration than with humans. So when we're talking about no long-term effects of the uh, COVID vaccine, mm-hmm. or if we're talking about uh, the the OBGYN boards that are saying that it's it's likely safe, we have no scientific evidence to state that. Um, And so that's very concerning for me. I would have liked to have seen three generations of animals and to see that there were no birth defects on an epigenetic level. Um, And also to understand that there's no concern in the replication and expression of our DNA extended through multiple generations. And that's the only way to do that is to complete thorough assessment through animal testing. And we just have not done that and are not doing that at this time. Instead, we're using humans and now children as the guinea pigs, which is, is very concerning. Um, you know, the other thing is that by, by medical definition, we can't even call it technically a vaccine. It's really a genomic therapy, an injection, an injectable genomic therapy that uses nanoparticles. And the concern of the nanoparticles, like the um, PEG and some of these other lipid nanoparticles, is that they themselves can have high allergen response and they themselves cross the blood-brain barrier. It's kind of used as an adjuvant as opposed to the adjuvants, which are typically a metal, like mercury or aluminum, used in a classic vaccine. Um, A vaccine also, by definition, is supposed to reduce infection. And this as a injectable genomic uh, therapy is really only stated to reduce the individual's inflammatory response or their tolerance of infection. There's a lot of controversy and hasn't been thorough research to those that have had active previous infection and then following injection. Um, And there's controversy and question about whether that would yield potentially a more inflammatory response due to pathogenic priming. Uh, And so that in itself is an entire other issue. Um, And the mechanism of this injectable itself Uh, There's been some question based on the impact of the mRNA uh, sequencing and the succinctin. Is that right, Becky? Succinctin? Synxitin? Synxitin? Synxitin, I think, is how I've heard it said. So th- there's there's an HERV envelope protein which in- incorporates the, these syncytins, um, and when we're talking about the influence on placental levels and on uh, pregnancy, the concern is that these syncytins can increase um, from th- they do increase from the beginning of conception and and more so during first trimester all the way through the end of the pregnancy. Um, And so the concern is that the level of the expression of the mRNA uh, element on a genetic level could actually interfere with healthy placental function. Um, And that's based on this potential of placental morthogenesis. I will link an article um, that looked at cystitin is a captive retroviral envelope protein involved in human placental morphogenesis. That's the name of the article through the Journal of Nature. And uh, just knowing that there's placental genetic 
combination of activity and that again this does go up um, with a healthy successful pregnancy and that there is an influence on a messenger ribonucleic acid uh, all makes me a little bit concerned and, and I think the easy answer is that it hasn't been tested um, right. you know we don't have not only do we not have the safety of long term saying there's no long term outcomes we have not had the time of any human that has been injected in the trial period even hold and carry a successful full pregnancy, nor have we seen anyone get pregnant because we don't have the time. It hasn't been available and even on a research level for over even 12 months at this point. Right. And pregnant women were excluded from the initial trials and I think probably excluded for a reason because we don't test vaccines on pregnant women, right? Um, And I think that's, that should be enough to make you kind of scratch your head, especially if, you know, during pregnancy, you're like, I'm not even taking Tylenol. Why would we take this, you know, experimental injection? And I I think that the the rest of kind of just closing out this answer is that it's just not necessary. The overall survival Mm -hmm. rate of COVID-19 infection is greater than 99%. Most pregnant women would fall into the risk factor of less than 99.9 plus percent. Um, And a lot of them only experiencing mild or moderate symptoms at best. Uh, We know that the infection itself is long-lasting and provides that T-cell immunity. Uh, Regardless of antibodies, we see that T-cells can create that memory cell response, which can support a more diverse or robust immune response. We're seeing people from the 1918 Spanish flu 90 years later still having humoral or antibody-learned responses to that said flu and even more diversity response through the decades to other strains of influenza. So wild natural infection, uh, I, I know that we have successful therapeutics in the medical world as far as pharmacological options. There's also successful tools in the natural medicine world. and. I would always choose something that has a known mechanism of action versus an unknown um, experimental mechanism of action where we can't see the literature to prove the outcomes. I think that's that's a mic drop moment in and of itself, right? I mean, you don't need to hear any more. <laughs> yep, and, and there has been now at this level already um, in the VAERS reports, which the, the VAERS are always, which is Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, uh, they're always underreported. Uh, but with that being said, uh, you know, we do know that there were 34 VAERS reports already put out that do contain the word miscarriage within them, uh, specific to the COVID-19 vaccine and and. that's you know very concerning to me and there were several i know in there i can't speak to the exact number but um late-term miscarriage as well more considered as a stillbirth and that's really concerning because that's very rare for that to happen yeah most definitely so all right Yes. And with that being said, if you are pregnant and you're listening and you're like, okay, well, crap, now what do I do? What you can do is support your metabolic health, right? What you can do is support, again, your antioxidant capacity. You can absolutely still use a high-dose vitamin C, which is more than safe and effective. You can use N-acetylcysteine and glutathione. Uh, You can ensure that your respiratory system is supported and even if you're nervous take a pulse ox you know you can get pulse oxes for 20 30 dollars um, as a little finger um, 
uh, device, I guess is the word, <laughs> which measure, measures your blood oxygen through your pulse. A lot of women will do this just actually supporting themselves through Braxton Hicks or, you know, monitoring themselves through the pregnancy process. Uh, there's a lot of natural and safe and effective tools out there. And um, I just, I trust the body and I trust nature and I trust really true medical intervention science that has been tested. And it, whenever we can't question the hypothesis, whenever things are being censored and the public is not allowed to be empowered with questioning, then that makes me really scared. Sure. Yep. That makes sense. And yeah, vitamin D for pregnancy, totally safe. Absolutely. And very, very effective. And should make sure that, that your levels are optimized. I think yep. that's important for an entire mechanism, how your thyroid works, how right. baby's immune system right. is primed and so much more. Yep. So maybe we take one more like light question and wrap it up. Let's see. <laughs> can I ask that one? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, what can you serve to a self-proclaimed non-meat eater who also doesn't like veggies? <laughs> okay that is a good light one <laughs> the, the answer i wrote for ali was air become a breathitarian 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 is that the word <laughs> oh my goodness i mean i i it's hard to answer because at that point it's like right um i guess what i would state to the self-proclaimed non-meat eater who also doesn't like veggies uh what are your health related goals and wellness related goals if this individual doesn't care then obviously they're not listening to our podcast anyway. Uh, but I think that you need both of those. Just like I said, we're a hybrid to run on glucose and ketones. We're a hybrid omnivore machine, I believe very strongly, that requires, if not meat, meaning red meat, I'm down if you can be a pescatarian. Uh, but you definitely need biological protein sources. Uh, you need eggs and a good variety of vegetables for optimal health. And maybe we need to go back to the question on, you know, kids mm -hmm. <laughs> being a taste adventure. I have a podcast on that. So we'll yep. link that for you <laughs> because you do have to teach the, the palate. Uh, you know, we have to decondition from processed chemical shit storms. So of course the food industry is an entire science of manipulating your hunger and satiety signals and manipulating your taste buds to tell you what's appropriate and not, and to override that, to drive addiction, obesity and um, you know really requiring pharmacological intervention too early on I believe uh, so it does take a little bit of that recalibrating the palate trying foods upwards of 20 to 30 times until you like it and you can kind of move through that line of like uh, love it like it learning to like it and those same kind of phrases that's yep. what I would do with that person and then you can I guess I'm not one to sneak things in but you just do what you need to do yeah, smoothies might be a good start or a frittata if they're willing to eat eggs and yeah. sneaking things into a scramble. Maybe this person would do yogurt with chia seeds and berries. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Y'all joined us for episode 231. Uh, if you like what we are putting out for you guys, definitely stop on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review with a sentence of what you're liking. As always, our show notes are jam-packed and those are always located on a separate website at naturallynourishedrd.com where we will link all of the supplements discussed or the prior episodes or other resources like that glutathione spray and all the good stuff. And then over at allymillerrd.com is where you can find our books, 
programs and naturally nourished supplement line. Over there, you can also check out protocols, including the immune protocol, which sounds pretty relevant today. And that's where you can buy your Beat the Bloat ebook for just $1.99 using the code BEATTHEBLOAT, as well as why not pick up the 10 day detox ebook and put in the code podcast 21. And, uh, that's where you can also sign up to the extensive deep dive gut webinar, which I will be holding on the 24th of March. Thank you for listening to the naturally nourished podcast. Visit our blog at allymillerrd.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.